All right. Well, today, as we have had communion as the anchoring point of our time of worship, I'm inviting you now to go in journey with me as we go through the Gospels and talk about how Jesus talked about the afterlife. Today, like I told you, is going to be jam-packed, full of Scripture. If you got a Bible, great. I already had to give away a few gold stars for people who showed me their real Bible in person. So way to go, teacher's pets. Uh, that's awesome. Everybody else, if you got a phone, you're going to need that. We're going to journey through that day. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the people with uh, paper Bibles are going to whoop your tail as far as getting to the Bible verses. But let's dive into this. Um, first thing, I want to remind you of why we're talking about this. We, we talked about this a little bit less last week. This is the whole reason we're diving into a series like this, is what you believe about the afterlife determines how you live your life. Again, what you believe about the afterlife, what's going to happen after this life is over, determines how you live your life now. In the Bible, there are different things that are talked about when it refers to heaven. Oftentimes you hear it talked about as, as heaven, eternal life, or everlasting life, or this kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven. And as all of these things are talked about, it brought me to this point that I think I need to make as we get ready to dive into this talk today and lean into a lot of scripture. And it's this, that life, life for us, is actually more than living. That life is more than just the pulse you have in your body. That it's more than that. And we get this from going all the way back to the very beginning and the creation of life itself. So if you take a Bible and you go to the book of Genesis, what you see is that's where God initiates and starts life. That's where human life as it is was invented by God. And when that life was produced in a man named Adam and then a woman named Eve, it was not defined by just the pulse that was in the man and the woman that God created. It was defined by the environment that he created. And all of that was all-encompassing and became what is known as, and what God would define as there as, life. And with that was both the pulse that was in the man, his aliveness, but it was also the environment that he was created in, which had some amazing things in it. It had, one, God himself walking in the cool of the day, walking with Adam and Eve. They are in the garden. Union with him, first and foremost, that when God talks about life, it's not just having a pulse. It's truly being united and connected with him. And the whole environment that God placed Adam and Eve in was one that was created and designed for their pleasure. Because when they would be most satisfied with God, they would give God the most glory, the true glory that he really deserves. So when the Bible talks about life, and as we go through these scriptures today, and it talks about having life, it's talking about not just having a pulse it's talking about the true life that God intended for you to have. And the adverse side of that coin is true. That life is more than just living. Because if you've ever listened to someone who has committed or attempted suicide, you've heard them say things like, I felt dead. That you can have a pulse and feel dead. And so if we realize this truth about our existence, that it is more than living, and it's more than just having a pulse, I think it brings us to the place where we can truly understand what life, as God defines it, is, and it is union with Him. The verse that I would take us to to start this topic today, uh, again, we're going through a lot of Scripture, we're going to start at probably the most common one of all to help bring this point home, is John 3.16. It's going to be on the screens. You don't even got to turn to this one yet. I'll give you a little warm-up. John 3.16. We know it. 
Even if we haven't been in church a whole lot, we still have a good idea of what this is. We've seen it at football games on Tim Tebow's Eye Black. We've seen it around. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Or if you've got your King James Bible, that's the only one you can find. You brought that in. It says everlasting life. Now, I was having a discussion with my six-year-old, and we were talking about this verse because he told me it was his favorite one, and so I wanted to make sure like, he understands what it actually means. And so I asked him this question. You know, I don't have time to unpack all the stuff at the beginning that we talked through, but we got to that last part where it says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. And I asked him this question. When does that eternal life start? When does everlasting life begin? And I would ask you the same question. When does everlasting life start? When does it begin? See, the question before that question, because he said, Whoa, Dad, when you go to heaven, that's when eternal life starts. That's where everlasting life starts. And a lot of people, even people watching and listening right now, that's where you're at. And that's okay. But let me take you to the part before that and ask you the question, what made it possible for you to have that eternal life and have that everlasting life? says, whoever believes, which is something you do while you're alive here on this planet. So if what I do to get eternal life happens in this life, well, then that means that eternal life must start in this life right now. And so when we read through these scriptures, i got to kind of preface some of what we're talking about by hopefully giving you that understanding, that eternal life, that afterlife, that the kingdom of heaven is not something that we just go to when we die, but it's something that if we are in Christ, that life has happened now. Because when we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him, it says that he comes and he makes a home with us and it's getting back to the garden, happening in us. But there's also, sadly, another preface point that I have to take you through this morning before we dive into the passage of scriptures that talk all about eternal life through the gospel and it makes this point this is what is not my favorite news to share with you I wish this wasn't the truth but it actually is and I have to preach the whole gospel to you so I have to share this news with you more people will be in hell than in heaven And I wish those were man-made words that I could deny and talk out of. But they're Jesus' words, and I can't. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, he was talking about how to enter into this eternal life. And he said this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter into it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And again, that's why I defined life for you, to help you understand what life is. not just talking about having a pulse. It's talking about being with God. Only a few will find it. I share a verse like that with you, and I share a point like that with you to hopefully cause you to sit up a little bit and go, okay, if there is something that happens after this body fades away, And if Jesus, the one who is the gatekeeper to come into that life, looks and in his word says to us, if you want to enter into this, you got to understand that only a few people are going to find this. Many people are going to find themselves on the big broad path that connects with the patterns of this world, and they're going to miss out on this. Then it should cause us, one, not to doubt our salvation, but it should cause us to make sure 
Because one of the worst things I could do as your pastor is pat you on the back and pretend that we're believing something that's not actually true. I don't want anybody to doubt their salvation, but I don't want anybody to believe something that's not really actually there. And so we're going to walk through scriptures that talk to us about how to actually enter into and receive this eternal life. And the other side of me showing you that is if you're here, one of the faith-filled followers of Christ, you're watching this, you're like, I believe it. I know I'm on that narrow path. I feel how lonely it is sometimes on that narrow path. I, I know that that's where my life is, and I'm entering into my Father's kingdom because I'm on that narrow path that leads to Him. Well, then here's what your life should look like. If you realize that only a few will find this, then you should spend every hour that you have alive making it one more person on that path. If we realize that, man, the people around us, maybe the people in our own homes, the people in our own neighborhoods, the people at our workplace, the people that our kids play t-ball with, if there are people all around us who are not going to find this path, and it's something that's hard to find, if it's something that's hard to find, what do they need? Help! And that's why you're on the path. That's why God has allowed you. You ever think about this? That is why God has allowed you to be one of the ones who have found this narrow path. That's why God has allowed you to be one of the ones who are hearing this today. Not so that you could just have a gee golly time walking this narrow path, hand in hand with Jesus, whistling amazing grace all the way to heaven. No, you have found it to help others find it. Found people, find people. All right, we're good? All right, we're going to walk through a few things together today. First, we're going to walk through what does not lead to eternal life. Then we're going to talk about what does lead to eternal life. And then we're going to talk about what and how to experience this eternal life here and now and not just when we get there in heaven. All right? Let's talk about how and what doesn't lead to eternal life. If you got a Bible, let's look at this verse together. It's a sad verse. It's a real, real verse. If you go and you read all the red stuff that Jesus said, he cut right to the chase. He didn't sugarfoot around with stuff. Matthew 7, 13, 14 or Matthew 7, 21, 23, sorry. Jump down a little bit if you got your Bible open. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, talking about what doesn't lead to eternal life. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so saying Lord, Lord, that will not get me in. And then he says, Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? That's not going to get you in in your name, and drive out demons, that's not going to get you in, and perform many miracles, that's not going to get you in. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Now, if you're like me, you read that list, and you go, there's some things on there, and I think I'm on, this, I'm on that narrow path, I think my faith is in Jesus, but there's some things on this list that, man, gee golly, I have not done those things. I haven't driven out a demon. I don't know many miracles that I've done. But I would draw your attention away from what they thought would get them in and draw your attention to what Jesus said would get them in. He said, away from me, not you didn't do enough awesome stuff. He says, away from me, I never knew you. Continuing on, we talked about what doesn't lead to eternal life. You got a Bible? Let's get ready to dig into this. Let's go to John chapter 5, verse 39. John 5, 39. 
He's talking to a group of Pharisees, people who were regarded oftentimes by those around him as religious hypocrites. And in verse 39, he gives us a clue of what will not lead to eternal life. And he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think in them you will possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me and have eternal life. So what doesn't lead to eternal life? Having a killer understanding of the Bible, which should cause some of you to take a deep breath in and out and go, man, this book is confusing to me. Great. Jesus says that you don't have to understand everything about this to have eternal life. Again, he says, I need you to know me. Now, you'll get to know him better through this. But what he's saying here, and he's making the point by talking about the Pharisees and religious leaders of the law, is saying, you can know this book cover to cover, you can read it cover to cover daily and miss me, who this book is all all about. Another thing he says will not lead to eternal life. We see in John um, 12, 25. Flip over there. John 12, 25. Love hearing the pages turning. John 12, 25. He says this, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Again, he says, the man who loves his life will lose it. So how do we not get eternal life? Love this life. And he doesn't say that the opposite of that, like hate your life. He's not saying be this apathetic, woe is me, miserable, I just hate earth, is terrible, and I, you know, just start a blog about how bad everything is. No, he says if you hate life in this world. Now again, that doesn't look like I curse things, that doesn't look like I become a terrorist and blow things up because I hate this life in this world. What he's saying there is, is you understand that life in this world will never be truly the life that God intended for you to be. So by comparison, you're willing to let it go. You're willing to trade it in. He goes on from there, and he talks about the same topic. And again, when Jesus reiterates things, let's flip over to Matthew, where it's saying the same thing in a different way. Matthew 10, 39. Go backwards. Matthew 10, 39, again, when you see Jesus making points, that's why he's trying to, to do that is to help us understand some things. And he's reiterating things. Anytime a preacher or a communicator or somebody else ha- has a message that they repeat over and over again, they're saying, this is important, don't miss this. In verse 39, in Matthew 10, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again, that's why I defined life for you. When, when the Bible talks about life, it's not just talking about having a pulse. It's not just saying when you're alive, you're, you got it. He's saying when you find life, when you find the reality and you understand that life, true life, is is understanding that you are connected with the Father through Jesus, that that is what life is, you are willing to not be connected with anything else to maintain and to hold on. Not connected with money, not connected with a spouse, not connected with children, not connected with anything. That's why we'll get, we may not get to these verses, but that's why Jesus said, hey, if you, you're going to follow me. You're, you may have to hate your mother and father. You may have to hate your sons and daughters. You may have to hate these things because what he was making a point there of, of, of if you're connected with me, that's life. That's forerunner. That's preeminent. That's the priority. That's life. He says, holding on, to life as you think it should be, and anything else that is not me will only lead to death. So if that's what Jesus says doesn't lead to eternal life, 
let's talk and turn the corner and hopefully brighten things up a bit about what does lead to eternal life. First verse I'll show you, and it's going to be on the screens. It's John 8, 24. Again, asking the question, what does lead to eternal life? John 8, 24. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you did not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. What he's saying is if you don't believe I am who God says I am, you will die. And again, he's not just saying your earthly pulse will stop and they'll put you in a casket. He's saying again... Make sure I definitely leaned into what life was, but let me explain what death is. Life is being internally connected with God. Death is being eternally not with Him. Okay, so in anywhere we see you gain your life, that's saying you will gain the ability to forever be connected with your Creator, your loving Father, God, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That's life. Death is not just talking about you died. It's saying you will be eternally separated from Him, and you will feel it. He says, simply put here. How to have eternal life is to believe. And as we walk through these scriptures and we talk about these different ones, when he says this is how you have eternal life, there are going to be different iterations of the same thing of saying, if you want to have life, you must believe. So let's walk through some of these together. John 6, 40. Start there. John 6, verse 40. He says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So how do I have eternal life? I look to the Son. I don't look to the things of this world. I don't look to what I feel like I need. I look to the Son and I believe in Him. Go to John 6, 44. Kind of keep it in that same chapter. John 6 is a killer one to be able to understand what's all going on here. John 6, 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. So if Jesus, and faith in Jesus is the way that we get to eternal life, what Jesus is making very clear is saying, hey, and that doesn't happen unless the Father is drawing you into that. And newsflash, friend, whether you're watching this from a meth house or you're watching it in, quote unquote, God's house, a church, God is still pursuing you. He doesn't care where you're at. That's what our Father does, is He pursues us regardless of where we may be. And that's what He's saying here, is God is drawing all men to Jesus. And the only way you'll come to Him is if you answer that tug that the Father has put on your heart to surrender that heart to Jesus and receive the life that He truly came to give you. Next verse I'll take you to is is John 10, verse 27 through 30. Flip over there. John 10, 27 30. Jesus is talking and he says, My sheep listen to my voice. So how do we have eternal life? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life so that they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That's, I'm excited about that. That nobody, if I'm in Christ and that's the life I have, nothing, nobody, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. 
So I don't have to fear the wolves because nothing can snatch me from his hand. Now, Jesus, again, he calls us sheep, which is his way of saying, you're idiots. Because sheep. But he makes it clear. How do we have eternal life? And he qualifies us as sheep, which, again, that tells us about us. And Jesus did have a sense of humor. He calls us sheep, and he calls himself the shepherd. And he says, what my sheep do, the ones that will inherit this eternal life, is they listen and follow. So what does it mean to believe? Believe is those two things. I listen and I follow. My faith has to have feet moving. He goes on before then. And this one is a little bit different. The other, the other couple are, are saying, hey, um, belief, belief, belief. And there's kind of different ways of him saying belief. But there, if you flip over, we're going to go back to Matthew. Matthew 10, 32, 33. Matthew 10, 32, and 33. Kind of takes a different angle here. He says, again, answering the question, how do you have eternal life? Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Okay, that's a little bit different than just believe. There's kind of a big game happening tomorrow. And it's very convenient if those teams that are in that big game, the national championship... It's very convenient if those are two of your teams that you share about those teams. But sometimes, if you're a bandwagon fan for sports teams like many of us truly are, when that team is having a bad year, you don't brag about them. You don't own up to being a fan of them, maybe even if somebody asks you. And it's the same equivalent to us when it's convenient saying we are a follower of Christ. When we're standing before, you know, a judge because we got a speeding ticket. Yes, yes, Your Honor, I was on the way to church, and uh, my kids, uh, they were in a play, and I was serving in church because that's what I do, and that's why I got a speeding ticket. Like, it was convenient for me to express that I am a follower of Christ there, but man, we've all been in situations and scenarios where we have disowned even the most faithful followers, and where we have acted and treated others and said things and not said things there were our simple ways of saying, I don't know you. So how can we, and this is what he's making the point here, I believe. He's saying, if you're going to be the type of person who's going to live a life as if you don't know me, why do you think you're going to have an eternal life where I'm, again, the only way you get into the eternal life is if, on, you know, as you're standing at checkpoint, God, Jesus leans over to God and says, yeah, they're with me. And if we're on earth going, yeah, I don't know him, what makes us think that he's going to be in heaven? Yeah, going, yeah, I know him. They're mine. That's the point I believe he's trying to make here. He's saying the way you own up to what has been done for you, I believe, is a true indicator that your faith is authentic. When your faith is authentic, when you have found that life that is true connection and union with God, nobody has to ask you whose side you're on. Nobody has to ask you, are you a follower of Christ? Well, no, we know. Like, tone it down a little. That's what happens when you've really found it. He goes on for here. And again, a little bit different than just believe. In Matthew 18, 3, let's flip over there. Gives us a different perspective. 18, 3. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So first and foremost, you want to go and have eternal life? You have to change. <laughs> Novel idea. Like, again, some of us were like, well, I just thought I had to pray a prayer at camp. Like, no. Like, he says, if you want to have this life, first of all, you got to change. And he says, what do you change into? You change into a child. You, you put on childlike humility. You put on childlike dependence. You treat God as if he is your father. You go to him and you ask him things you would never ask a boss. You would never ask a rich uncle. You go to a father because he's a father. And you ask him. Knowing that if an earthly father can give you good gifts, how much more so a loving, heavenly father can pour out abundance of blessing on your life. He says that's, that's what it means to have eternal life. Let's go to Matthew 24, 45. Flip forward a little bit. Gives us a definitely a um, perspective on the things that we have in this earth. 24, verse 45 and 51. All right, so it's a little bit of a parable here. Let's listen to it together and see if you can pick out what Jesus is saying in this verse leads to eternal life. He says, Who then is faithful and a wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household, to give them the food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant who master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away for a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he is not aware of. And he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus here is saying, in regards to eternal life. Now again, he, he doesn't necessarily, he paints a picture of what is the adverse and what is the negative here. He says, if you're going to take, explain to people what the kingdom of heaven is like. As, as a steward, you're going to take what God gives you and you're going to treat the gift that you've been given and the trust that God has given you that you would steward those things well to other people. If you're going to take those and live a life that pretends like God hasn't been here in a while. And he's taking his sweet time, so I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to take advantage of some of these people. It says when the master shows up, he's going to hold us accountable for what we did and what he gave us to manage what we now have. And our mismanagement of what he has given us does not end pretty. Luke, let's go to Luke. 13, Luke 13, again, he's talking about how to have eternal life. Luke 13, Luke 13, we'll go on verse 3 through 5. I believe here in Luke 3 through 5, he's given us the predecessor to belief. He says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. What he's saying there is, how do you have eternal life? Well, first of all, you have to realize that the path that you're headed on is not one that would lead to it. And you have to repent. And that's what repent is not a word that just means saying, I'm for, sorry, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You, you, repent, you've heard this before. Repent is mean I was going this way, and I turned around and went the other way. It's that realization that this is the wrong path. This was the broad one. And you get on the narrow one. Last thing that I'll show you in this passage here. So what he says in Luke 14, 27. 
Luke 14, 27. How do we have eternal life? He says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I want to have eternal life. That means I'm going to have to carry my cross. I'm going to have to go to ultimate extremes to say that I'm laying this life down to follow the one who laid his life down for me. He's carrying my cross. He says, this is what leads to eternal life. Not holding on to our life, but willingly taking it up and walking up a hill the way I walked up a hill, willing to sacrifice whatever it may cost to be connected in order to follow the Father's will. Okay? So those are the things that lead to eternal life. And again, they're, they're variations of belief, which is faith and action. It's listening and following. So how do we, again, if this life, if we're followers of Christ, if this eternal life is actually happening now, if it happens at its conception, is our moment of belief, how do we live in these momentary times that we have left on earth in ways that truly make it seem like God's prayer and the Lord's prayer is being answered, that His kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven? How do we live here and now that allow us to experience the things of this eternal life in this present life. He gives us a few of those. Matthew 5, 19 and 20. It'll be on the screens. These next two will. He says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so he's saying, you see what's in God's word. Don't set aside these things. Don't pick and choose based off of what's convenient for you. Rather, he says, but whoever practices and teaches. Those are two things. In this life that we have, if you want to experience the eternal life that God's given you to its fullest here on earth, practice and teach these commands, and you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven, which again is not just this place we go in the sky, but it's this place that you'll go after here when you get in your car. Because the king of heaven, if you're a follower of Christ, has made a home inside of you. He goes on, John 6, 50 through 51. He's talking to him about communion, and he says, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Again, this is what we talk, this is what's happening in communion. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. He's saying, this deep communion, this indwelling with Christ, this experiencing what is really happening in, in the communion, the broken bread and the poured out blood that is celebrating communion. Again, the eternal life doesn't start when you take communion. There are some places in churches that believe that, but that's not the reality. You can't pop one of those nasty things in your mouth and, and experience eternal life. That's not how that works. What he's saying there, again, Jesus made this really clear. It's about knowing him. And in Jesus' day and age, and this is where we have to understand the context and its kingness here, one of the most intimate, absolutely intimate things you could ever do with somebody was sit down across the dinner table and eat with them. He's saying here, I'm not just going to eat dinner with you, but I'm going to be the meal to which you dine on. And our relationship is going to be so unified that my life is going to be lived through your life. He goes on from there. And in Matthew 5, 12, he tells us how to live this life. Matthew 5. 5, 12. How to experience and how to live this eternal life while we're here in this life. 
5.12. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What he's saying there is, if you want to experience all that God has for you in the eternal life that is happening in these moments right now, gladly take persecution. Gladly be willing to be misunderstood. Gladly be willing to be in the minority. Take it. Because that is what's something that's worth rejoicing. Because that's what they did to all the prophets before. And they even did to our King Jesus. Matthew 6, 19. We get another glimpse of, of how to truly experience the joy and the pleasure and the reality of this eternal life while we're still living this life. He says this, Don't, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, while you're in this life, if you want to experience the joy of this life, be willing to let the treasures of this life go because you know that in Christ you have a treasure that will never fade, will never run out. It's a steward what you have in a way that doesn't store up great things, awesome things here on this earth, but store them up in heaven. Another one that I would lean into you today is Matthew 18, verses 9 and 10. Flip forward and we'll see these together. Matthew 18, verses 9 and 10. How do we truly live out the eternal life that God has given us right here in these very moments? Matthew 18, verses 9 and 10. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life. Again, we talked about what life is. It's better for you to enter life with one eye, than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. I don't have time to unpack all exactly what he's meaning there. What it's not meaning is cut your eyes out and your arms out exactly. But what it's saying there, if we want to experience the true life, these heaven meets earth moments in our lives while you are here, then ruthlessly, tyrannically even, cut away the sin that exists in your fleshly body that is still fading away. Ruthlessly cut away the sin in your life and you experience the true life that God has come to give us. Another one, and this one may hit close to home. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who has sinned against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began with the settlement. The man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. But the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. 
Be patient with me while I pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant, he said, You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I've had mercy on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he he owed. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart. How do I live the blessing of this eternal life here on this life? Forgive. And then forgive some more. Last thing I'll leave with you is Matthew 24, verse 42. How do I live eternal life right now in this life? Jesus said this. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time in the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. He would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So how do we live this life in a way in which we will experience the joy of this life? Is we expectantly look and prepare our daily activity with the mindset that Jesus is right around the corner to come again. And to come again this time not as a peaceful baby in a manger, but come again this time as a judge. And so we've got to answer that question. What did you do with Jesus? The Bible made it very clear as we talk through this today. How do we have eternal life? We believe in him. What doesn't lead to eternal life? Well, it doesn't lead to eternal life just to know a bunch of scriptures. It doesn't lead to eternal life just to, you know, do all these great things and do all this stuff and not know Jesus. But if we want to come to him, we have to believe. We have to listen and follow. And to truly experience out that eternal life that you've been given, it's going to require you to forgive. It's going to require you to steward what you've been given well. It's going to require you to daily live prepared until he comes and initiates eternity. It's either eternal bliss with him in heaven or eternal death separated from him in hell. My prayer is you know where you are. If you don't like where you are, You do everything to make it so that you do. So that you live a life that makes sure that everyone around you finds where you want to go. Finds a father who loves them, cares for them deeply. And that you understand that's why God started this thing that is called McDonough Christian Church. And that's what you're a part of. Let's sing together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the truth that is found in your word. There's nothing no perfect. There's nothing no transformative than the words that we have 
set before us today. I pray that they don't fall on deaf ears, but I pray they fall on fertile soil. As those before me, in front of me, in person, and online, God, seek to give their lives, hearts, minds to you to experience the eternal life that you died to give them right here in these moments. In your name, Jesus. Amen.